Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We'll give him a week, see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. It's three hours short for a bus ticket home. You help me out? What are you on? Believe me, I told you. Don't think of it as killing. Amen. Amen. Don't think at all. It's something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question of how. Nervous. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. It'd be your boys falling in with the trouble. Check out time. some time, son. Like damn, it's my family. Let him go. Near dark. Pray for daylight. The night has its price. Welcome back to another episode of Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And uh, this is Paxton Fest, guys. We talked about it last week, but here we are. It's Bill Paxton. We're taking a look back at some of his uh, best and most interesting uh, works over the years. And we, we had a great epic episode with Aliens last week. And, and here we are now. With, uh, I think, his immediate follow-up, which is 1987's Near Dark. Mm. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Paxton Fest. I'm stoked. I'm really jazzed. Yeah. <laughs> I like a Bill Paxton, so yeah. Any, any, anytime we can do it. How many Paxton movies have we done so far? We did. Uh, we. This is number three. Three. I believe, right? Because we only Simple did plan, Simple Plan. The Aliens, and, and now Near Dark. Yeah. So great, let's keep it going. Not nearly Am enough. Am I forgetting one? Not nearly enough. <laughs> I'm double checking. Well, no. we've done so many movies now. I can't. I can. <laughs> I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, we're in. We're in year three. We're in year three now. Oh my gosh! Congratulations to us. Yeah, good job. Guys. Well, and well there's done. there's so much great Paxton stuff to talk about, and I think we we realized like, hey, we really haven't hit any of his movies, and they're so. You know, there, there's so many. God, I, I think by the time this show is done, at the end of its 52-year contract, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have covered all of them. I think. I think you're right. You, you, we're gonna do yeah. the whole library. <laughs> well, and we lost Bill, unfortunately, a few years ago, way too soon. And I'm sure he had uh, many more amazing films he was gonna do. But uh, we're 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 stuck with what we have, and we're gonna we're gonna take a look at them and see how they hold up in 2020. Yeah, perfect. All right. 
Um, and, and yeah, we talked about aliens last time. Amazing, you know, breakout uh, role for him where he kind of was able to move past the, you know, he had done weird science, but he'd also done brief roles in Terminator and Commando and just a lot of small parts like that. But aliens was that first one that really put him up a level. And the movie was such a big hit that, uh, that it was, was a great moment in the spotlight for him. So near dark, let me guess, David, the first time you saw this movie was fairly recently. Am I correct about that? Yeah, let's say, yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> when was the, uh, what was the first time you remember hearing about it? Uh, probably when I'm the, the, within a week of meeting you for the first time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite recall, but I did not know this movie existed. Bad. Um, and I'm sure, you know, as we shared our loves for various films or actors and things like that, you, I'm sure you were like giving me the, like the, the 411 on these things I might have missed or like, oh, how much you enjoy this or that. And I'd be like, what, what, what are you talking about? I never even heard of that. So that's, that's a typical conversation between us when we, when we do <laughs> these things. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's really only come into my orbit in, uh, in the recent past. Well, I try to educate you on on films you might have missed, and then you educate me on TV shows that I might have uh, yeah. overlooked or just not gotten to yet. So sure. it works both ways. Oh yeah, I mean we, we help nice. each other out. Also, I keep you abreast uh, of the uh, the thirty one flavors and what they rotate in and out. So thank you, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah. The whole family does. <laughs> Absolutely, it's important information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Brent, what about you? When uh, what was the first time you either saw or remember, you know, uh, Near Dark kind of getting on your radar? Oh man, I re- I remember exactly the first time I saw this. I, it was <laughs> I was a young kid. Uh, it was my babysitter who introduced me to this. It was on home video. It was pro- I was probably ten, so it was probably like, uh, you know, like right as after it came out on home video, and uh, mm-hmm. she came over. Pam Miller, she was a badass. And she brought she brought this movie over and we watched it uh, one night when she was babysitting. That's awesome. That's yeah. a great babysitter experience. Yeah, I don't think my parents really knew that that was happening, but I'm glad because I I've I I've really uh, loved this movie ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> I didn't see it. Um, <clears throat> I did not see it right away but i remember what stood out to me i remember being i mean i must have been seven or eight in uh, movies one and wandering through the video store and seeing the poster which is mm-hmm. the outline you know the silhouette of them of their group like on, the on that hilltop yeah <clears throat> amazing image Be- it's a beautiful image yeah it's and probably- uh, and and then the foreground was like you know just for the poster was like lance and and Bill Paxton and Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah, it's probably the most iconic, like, kind of image from the movie. I would, I would venture to say, you know. Yeah. So that that image, that poster, kind of just burned in my memory, and it was just like curious. Like, I, I knew it was about vampires, but I'm like, it doesn't look like a vampire movie, though. Uh, but I didn't end up seeing it till we were at the College of Santa Fe, R.I.P. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you remember, of course, you remember Cowboy Mike. Cowboy Mike, yeah, I remember Cowboy Mike for sure. 
Cowboy Mike. So we lived in the same dorm. Brent and I lived in the same dorm and we're uh, roommates. And right across the hall from from our room was this guy, Cowboy Mike, who I don't know where he is these days. Um, I think he was in Seattle last time I heard of Portland, maybe. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah, I, I talked to him maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and then I, I haven't heard from him since then. But, uh, but Mike knew that when I got there, I was not very well educated on horror. So he took me to school and, and he made me watch, you know, the evil dead movies and, uh, God, Texas chainsaw massacre two, well, one and two. And then near dark was, was super high up there on his list. Yeah. He was big into Italian zombie movies too. Yes. I skipped some of those, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did he? Um... Yeah. So shout out to Cowboy Mike for uh, the 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 crash course in horror movies to get me caught up to everybody. Did he wear yeah, like a big sure. belt buckle and a big hat? Is that why you call him Cowboy Mike? Yeah, he did. Kind of actually. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> okay. As a matter of fact, he had long hair and he was big into like um, kind of older country music, like kind of roughneck music. Mm-hmm. So like David Allen Coe mm-hmm. and like you know the Journeyman and those and and that group. I used to dress so. Quick aside about Cowboy Mike, like he lived in San Antonio, Texas, and I would drive him home uh, on my way to Houston from Santa Fe anytime there was like a a holiday, and he we would like drive through New Mexico in the in the middle of the night and just jamming this old country music on these like desolate desert roads, and uh, and uh, yeah, man, he was a good he was a good uh, road road partner but yeah he he loved that old country music he's a good guy yeah he's he's good we should uh track him down and uh you know what we'll just drag him into recon cinema studios from wherever he's at i'll send i'll send some people out to get him send a helicopter amazing yeah send a helicopter (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll send the chopper uh just go find i'll I'll send a picture with with the chopper and they'll have to track him down (laughs) yeah but yeah, so Near Dark, uh, I, you know, I watched it with Mike and, and loved it. I, I immediately, just the visuals of it and, um, you know, the whole, it's so, it's so highly stylized and, and it was just, it's a really interesting film. And of course, it's Catherine Bigelow's first uh, directorial effort and she's gone on to such big and important movies throughout her career and, and it's, it's right. just interesting to look back on it. So it's, it was, I was curious of how it was going to hold up uh, watching it now because I haven't seen it in years and years, um, and I'm sure we're going to have various opinions about it. But um, mm. uh, let's talk a little bit about Catherine Bigelow and kind of how this, <clears throat> excuse me, how this movie kind of came to be. Uh, are you guys where are you with Catherine Bigelow? Where, where, where are you on her films in general? <laughs> David, uh, you start. Man. I mean, if you're gonna like average them all out, uh, you know. I would I I like Catherine Bigelow movies. Yeah, I'm in. I like yeah. I, I liked uh, going backwards. I mean, Zero Dark Thirty and Her Locker. I really enjoyed uh, uh, and Point Break. I mean, those are my t- Point Break. Those are those are those are big movies. And I always wanted to see Strange Days and never did. So uh, <laughs> that was always like I, I'm curious about that. Um, so like those are the yes. ones that stand out for me. You know, like you know I, I like her stuff. For sure. 
Strange Days is a, is a, it'd be, I'd be interested to cover that one as well at some point on this show. It's um, I don't know if that one's going to hold up. I feel like that one's going to actually be the most dated out of a lot of her films. Hmm. Yeah, that one's kind of interesting too because that's when it wasn't she married to James Cameron at that point and like yeah I, I don't know I feel like I feel like a lot of she doesn't get a lot of credit for that movie because uh, I think people think that Cameron was pulling a lot of strings, but. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I just, uh, that's uh, something that I suspect. Well, I think, I think you know, and we'll talk here about, uh, you know, uh, the relationship with Cameron. There's, a, there's, a, I, I think her style, especially back in her earlier movies, was very similar to Cameron's. I mean, I don't think he was like on the set directing things or anything like that. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there was some kind of influence and like mentorship from you know between them that well, she know, was just adapting uh, adopting some of his stylistic choices. I know there was a lot of technology and stuff like that that Lightstorm had developed that she was using on Strange Days. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's his kind of bread and butter. So I I would be surprised if he wasn't on set quite a bit, but but Yeah, he might have been. Yeah. Still, you know, I I don't of of the movies that she's done, like Strange Strange Days is not one of my one of my favorites, but like to to David's point, like uh, Zero Dark Thirty, Hurt Locker, I think those are both uh, really, really well done. Hurt Locker, I think, is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Hurt Locker's great. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I love Point Break. I mean, it's it's probably like from an artistic standpoint, not not her strongest effort, but uh, certainly like just from a fun kind of rewatchability standpoint like i think in high school i watched that with one of my buddies every day after school for probably <laughs> four months straight man like wow. just yeah <laughs> i i actually if we called that guy right now chris dixon if you're listening i know for a fact he could recite that movie from any line that we gave him in that movie he he's seen it so many times oh my but gosh. uh well that's such a big cult movie i mean so there's a lot of people who love 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 that movie and oh, yeah. it's uh like a rocky horror kind of thing yeah for sure and then and then this and then this movie near dark which uh you know i just i love this movie so yeah um did you now i i want to ask because we're talking about Catherine bigelow a little bit and so i kind of want to bring this up because i i i hadn't heard her give many interviews uh prior to researching this uh for this episode and so you know watching the the movie and uh you know some documentary footage and and listening to uh the commentary like did you guys did you guys uh watch the documentary and and listen to the commentary uh i did yes yeah what are your thoughts on her like what do you mean my thoughts on her in general or yeah like uh, so just i the way she speaks kind of reminds me of the neighbors in in uh, like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like they just, <laughs> she sounds very like hoity-toity. She like uses the word gravitas a lot, and like, yeah, and, like I don't know. She like uses references that are pretty obscure that people aren't gonna get. Like Uber Uberman when she's talking about uh, mm-hmm. you know like Bill pa- Bill Paxton and and his character and one thing. And I was like, what is Uberman? And I looked it up, and it's like some like Nietzsche reference that, you know, makes mm-hmm. sense. I mean, she's very smart, very intelligent, uh, but just like, I don't know, like it just kind of like struck me when watching uh, this footage. I was like, man, she, you know, she just seems very 
uh, almost like the stereotype of like a pretentious artist director director. Uh, but then like, you know, like I've watched, I watched things more recent, like when she like, you know, because I was curious at that point, I was like, okay, who is Catherine Bigelow? Is she, is she mm-hmm. that person or is she like kind of over overdoing it for whatever reason? And, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. I've watched a lot of her stuff more recently and she's like, it's much, much less uh noticeable you know and so like yeah. i just i just found it very interesting because it was very like almost cartoonish uh when, when yeah watching it. i was like oh my gosh this is kind of hilarious yeah i she yeah she came across definitely as like like the serious very serious kind of artist kind of thing vibe um a lot of big words, you know. Yeah. She uses a lot of fancy big words. So. And she's she's uh, definitely super smart. I mean, she went to Columbia. Yeah. Like, I mean, she's definitely a very intelligent person. Like, she can pull off using those words. I was just like sitting there watching them, or watching everything, and I was like, man, this is just kind of comical in in a way. Like, yeah. Just just how almost um almost to a T the stereotype of, of kind of that, that, uh, hoity toity artist, uh, mentality type thing. But it, it, it definitely doesn't continue on later in, in her interviews. So I just thought it was kind of, kind of funny watching this stuff. Yeah. It's, I think it's sometimes it's hard to, to, uh, you know, talk a lot about your films and, and some of these directors with, who are very much artists, I think it's hard for them to not sound that way when they're breaking down and analyzing everything that they've done and kind of where they're coming from. I, I think it's easy for some of them to come come across that way. Yeah. So I get it. I to- I see what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that. Like listening to watching the movie with the commentary and it's 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 just her in a room and it's like she she's she's like trying to almost educate the audience a little bit or she yeah. but she also at the same time she she's it's like she's in a room with uh her peers and like this is this is how you're supposed to talk about a movie in a sense and sort of the the language of um and to justify like everything that's done and it's all it's all it's all there i mean it's you know whatever references she's talking about or then and also like even the sort of the glowing praise for like every single person like you you almost don't buy it a little bit like you, you really you saw that you, yeah it you seems think this... a, it seems a little forced right like it not not exactly not exactly genuine yeah but well you know to to be fair a lot of the, you know most directors are gonna either end up like loving their projects like babies or they hate them and disown them yeah. <laughs> like fincher yeah. and alien 3 you know so i i can i can see why she would d- talk, refer to it that way yeah yeah i was that's fair i was I was recently on a drama TV show that was setting up and they were doing the pilot and additional episodes and the director who was, you know, the visionary, you know, in terms of just designing that first episode and the look of the show. I mean, like listening to the commentary reminded me of this director who knows her stuff, very smart. Um, and might not have been necessarily like the most like personable, but certainly someone who knows what she's talking about and what she wants. And like, you know, there were, there were like m- reference photos 
that were plastered everywhere, like hundreds of them, like from other, from lots of different movies and films, and yeah. to get the look, the feel, the the tone, and it's like it was a bombardment of of sensory input, you know, and it's just like okay, you've seen a lot of movies, got it, and like she has the credentials to back it up, very won won lots of awards, well educated, all that. But I was like, ugh, it's like listening to her go off. <laughs> like, yeah. And we're just all, and the rest of the crew is just like, we're trying to just, we're just trying to do, we're just trying to keep our jobs. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. There's that, this weird disconnect between like a, like a, a director who's trying, who is an artist. And then like the crew has to execute that vision. It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting right. um, uh, dynamic. Yeah. Well, and, and I think at this point, Catherine Bigelow, you know, is one of the most respected uh, female directors out there. Yeah. Oh, for She's sure. Yeah. The the only yeah. only female director to win an Academy Award. You know, that's not anything to to turn turn your cheek to, man. Like she's very yeah, impressive. Yeah. Like she definitely knows what she's doing. Well, and the funny thing is about that year with the Hurt Locker is wasn't it between you know we talk we're going to talk more about the Cameron oh, uh, yeah. the James Cameron Catherine Bigelow relationship wasn't it between Avatar and yeah, Hurt was, Locker? It was David and Goliath, man. It was yes. definitely it was it was Avatar and Hurt Locker and and uh, she walked away with it, which I have to imagine felt pretty sweet. <laughs> I wonder if they're still on speaking terms at all, and I, I don't know what their relationship is, if they yeah. talked beforehand or, or what. I, I'd be interested to be a, a fly on the wall for that. Yeah, for sure. It'd be interesting to hear. I just remember that I was going to be livid if Avatar won. Like, I was ready. To, <laughs> I was had stuff in my hand to throw across the room. I was like, her locker better win. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I you know I have a lot of technical respect for Avatar, but story wise, a lot of problems. Didn't do it for you. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it was yeah. definitely entertaining. I mean, it, for for sure. the initial viewing, super entertaining. Um, sure. But I can't get through it now to save my life. I tried. I all all I want is for there to be four more Avatars. That's all I want. Oh, well, hey, that's it. We've got news for you. Lucky, lucky you. <laughs> By the time what? by twenty seventy five, they'll finally have the second one out, and then. <laughs> oh my God! All right, well, let's let's rewind all the way back to the beginning of Catherine Bigelow's career. Yes. Okay. So you know, at this point, uh, she had co-directed a movie called The Loveless. She really, you know, was just starting her career out. Um, and this, uh, she kind of connected with an, a writer by the name of Eric Red, who had written a movie. Have you guys ever seen The Hitcher with Rutger Hauer? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, that was a film that he's coming off of. So, you know, I don't know if they were friends or, or what, how they connected, but they formed kind of a partnership and wanted to write a Western um, that you know the westerns at this point were kind of starting to die out and uh, weren't really that you know weren't happening as often as they were previously. But they wanted to put a spin on it and kind of create something more sellable, more marketable, something fresher. And <laughs> why not uh, merge vampires and westerns? And voila, you've got near dark. <laughs> yeah. Interesting it's, it's, story uh, about Eric Red, real quick, just to get off off track one more time. Uh, so in, in, in like the year 2000, uh, I was out here doing an internship out here being in LA doing an internship 
uh, and it was just the beginning of the summer, and I was hanging out with uh, another one of our acquaintances from from CSF, Jess Place, and Mm -hmm. we used to go to this bar on Wilshire all the time. Like, the first couple months that we lived out here, we went to this bar called uh, Q's. Uh, it was like oh, Q's, Q's Billiards yeah, or yeah. Q's, Q's pool, pool Hall. And yep. we, would, we would go there every night like just to kind of like meet up, grab a couple drinks. At the time, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes. So we'd stand out on the patio and just kind of smoke. And then, and then eventually like the summer kind of picked up and we both got busy with our, with our uh, respective internships and work and things like that. So we kind of weren't hanging out as much. Uh, but like... Uh, kind of a couple weeks after we had kind of gotten into our our work routines, um, I was driving down Wilshire and I was thinking, oh man, maybe I'll just drop drop by Q's real quick. And there were all these like cop cars and and fire trucks and all sorts of stuff right outside Q's. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And uh, sure enough, I like look at the news and Eric Red, the writer of of Near Dark, had driven his car into the pool hall like right through the patio and all this area that like jess and i used to hang out with hang out in and like honestly like weeks before like we could have easily been there and uh and i was like holy crap that's crazy because he wrote near dark which i love and he just totally (laughs) destroyed my bar (laughs) it was mind-blowing so oh my god wow anyway sadly i think a couple people uh, got hurt, pretty hurt in that in that accident, but it was like kind of just in, insane, like the the oh that's awful the the whole thing happening. Oh. but I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Very so. dramatic. Uh, looking that incident up on Wikipedia, and I won't recount yeah. it here, but oh, you're not kidding around. Okay, yeah, it was like yeah, it, it, like he drove it into the bar, like and and like Ooh. yeah, took a few people with him. And then is yeah. Q still there, or is it gone now? It is. They like used. They <clears throat> got a whole bunch of insurance money and like redid it. And now it's like much nicer, and they like bought more of the building that they were in or leased, and mm-hmm. and so like they've made it a much bigger thing. It's very different than it was when when uh, we were hanging out there, however many yeah. you know years ago, but. Yeah, we won't we won't say what year it was. But I think was, I already yeah. did, so cut that <laughs> shit out. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just crazy, man. So uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so you to were, find out you were, that you were there within moments of that uh, tragic event. I Yikes. yeah, I was literally like driving, thinking, oh, I'll just stop here. You know, we haven't been in a couple weeks, and I'll just stop by since it's like on my way. I was I was working in Burbank and living in Santa Monica and I was like, oh, I'll just get off here at Wilshire off the 405 and I'll just grab a drink cuz traffic yeah. sucks and you know, I'm like stressed out and you know. So and I couldn't because Eric Red decided to park on the bar. Yikes. <laughs> Eric Red ruined your night and other people's as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think sadly like he was like he like went through some pretty serious stuff after that. Um like, Yeah, well, like, if you if you look at his career i mean it's very different from Catherine bigelow's his trajectory he like went the i think kind of like low budget horror route and that's kind of where he stayed or medium budget yeah yeah anyway uh back to back to near dark sorry i had to just share that story 
Yeah, no, that's uh that's uh that's your Eric. That's an Eric Red story. There you yeah. go. There you go. Wow. Who can? How many people you know who can say they have an Eric Red story? <laughs> um. So yeah, but back in '85 ish, uh, when they wrote this movie together, they pitched it to a producer named Ed Feldman, who was a big time producer. Uh, you know, back then he had done Witness and he had done The Hitcher, where I'm sure he worked with Eric Red. Uh, how they made that connection. And then he also produced The Golden Child. So, uh, you know, a big, big name producer. Uh, They pitched it to him and he, you know, saw something in Catherine Bigelow and saw and really, you know, wanted to give her a chance. But, you know, it's always a gamble uh, when you're you're going with a first time director because you really don't know what you're going to get or how it's going to work out. So what he told her was, you know, I'm going to hire you. You're, you're going to be able to direct it. But after the first day of dailies, if I don't like what I'm seeing, you're out. Whoa. So pressure's on. That was a uh, leash. Yeah. 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 A little bit of pressure for her, but uh, clearly, you know, she did a great job. And I think, I think visually those, you know, the visuals of the movie are, I think are really its strongest element. So, um, and, and great casting as well. So I, I would, uh, I think, of course, he made the right choice to keep her, keep her there. Yeah, she probably owes a lot to um, Adam Greenberg, who was a DP on that, right? Yeah. Let's talk about Adam Greenberg because I mean that's a huge part of this movie is that combination. Uh, I, you know, th- I think she would keep mostly keep this visual style for at least the next 10 or, you know, 10 ish years or so and the next handful of movies. But it really starts here with Adam Greenberg and the beginning of that Cameron connection. Um, I think at this point, I don't think they were dating yet or they weren't married yet. They were, um, you know, they were some kind of, you know, working together, her and James Mm -hmm. Cameron. But uh, Adam Greenberg is the DP from Terminator. Mm hmm. And many, many. So Iron Eagle, right? Once bitten. Iron, yeah. Well, but I, apparently he was he was big in the like non-union world. So you know, once after Terminator came out, he was super and you know very much in demand. Uh, he was one of the most sought-after DPs, I think, in town at the time. He. Uh, after yeah, which he, movie? Sorry. Uh, after Terminator. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean he uh, he he was DP on Lemon Popsicle, which we talked about on our oh. Canon Films episode. <laughs> our Canon Films episode, <laughs> the, another epic adventure we went on. <laughs> <laughs> but in the yeah, so yeah, he had this whole career, you know, prior to the '80s, and then looks like then he became a big deal after Terminator. Yeah, um, and I think it was a great, you know, a, the experience that he had was really was really solid for her, and it was good to have a really strong DP with a with a strong visual style that she could help guide her own visuals that she was creating for this. Yeah. Uh, and you can see it. I mean, you know, a lot of those there's similarities. You can see similarities between Terminator, especially, and this for sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the movie gets greenlit. It's got a it's got a five million dollar budget. Uh, they were supposed to shoot it in Oklahoma, but right when they were the production designer was there, the art department was going. Uh, these flood these horrible floods came in, and um, 
you know, rendered the whole area they were going to be filming at like un- unshootable and they didn't know when it was going to be. And it, this was this is a lo- relatively low budget movie uh, for a, a major motion picture. So they, they couldn't just wait it out. They had to you know, they had a schedule and they had to start shooting right away. So they ended up moving the whole production to uh, a town in Arizona called Coolidge, Arizona, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> it's funny. So they get there and. I believe they're shooting in the winter, but it hadn't snowed there in like a hundred years or something. But on their very first day of filming, of course, it just dumps. Right. (laughs) And uh, they had to kind of carve a path and work around it. And I think in the early scenes with uh, Caleb and, and May in their, in the, in his pickup truck, like they had to, you know, she had to suck on an ice cube to, you know, get rid of that cold vapor coming out of her. Yeah. Condensation. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I feel terrible for them that they've got a you know if you've if you've done like low budget films I'm sure or any you know films really like I'm sure at one point or another you've shot outside in the cold and you've got to pretend like it's not cold or it's summer when it's really winter and that's uh, I can't imagine how hard that is for actors to do that. Oh yeah, and uh, you know like poor Jenny Wright like she's wearing like no sleeves or anything for the majority of this movie so i'm sure she was freezing (laughs) the entire time but the you know i think the arizona landscape really worked it worked to the benefit of the movie um i i really like that that bleak kind of like really dramatic landscape i think uh i don't know i it actually it felt kind of like texas to me you know yeah. Brent, you're a Texan. Did yeah, it feel no. like Texas to you? Parts of it, for sure. Like, I mean, they reference Sweetwater, Texas, and yeah. like that area, you know, a couple hundred miles away is Hamilton, Tech. Like, it's all ranch and, and flatlands and, I mean, oil crickets uh, up in that area. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think, I think it pretty much uh, resembled what would be, you know, geographically what the look is. I mean, of similar to Oklahoma and, and that area of Texas, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just flat. So, uh, well, flat. One of the, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Flat, flat, yeah, flat, flat text. Exactly. Yeah, flat, flat, flat. Yeah. Then there's just nothing. It's just, and, there, and there's the, the darkness. It's, it's lonely, mm-hmm. oppressive, yeah, scary. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's really picturesque, really. If you just, if you just like, hey, well, it is, the, especially picture. the way they lit it. it. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. It's, they made it work. It worked well. I mean, it worked well for the movie for sure. Like it's it's great. Yeah. If you're talking um, about, cowboy, I think the biggest uh, that's the perfect setting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the biggest uh, you know leap they made here was obviously they're telling a vampire western story, <clears throat> but they really change how like who these vampires are. The vampire, you know, mythology, it's, they, they tweak it a little bit and, and really just not that they add a lot of new things to it. It's just that they don't really go all the way with it. You know, yeah, they, don't, they, they, they pull don't, back on all those gothic elements like the crosses and and you yeah, know, like, like those types of things. And, and they for the time, like really modernized uh, the kind of vampire lore. I mean, between this and, and Lost Boys, which came out uh, around the, like, the same time, the same summer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like mm-hmm. maybe the same weekend. Who knows? But like, uh, 
um, you know, both of those really, both of these movies kind of really uh, stepped away from like that traditional vampire um, kind of mythology. setting. Yeah, yeah, mythology, and and really brought yeah. it to the to kind of a present day. You know, because at this time, yeah. at this time, like vampires hadn't really been. You know, they'd kind of just been on the outskirts of things for for a very long time. You know, everything was really focused on the slasher movies and yeah. kind of like gore fest films and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the vampire thing hadn't really been messed with all that much, except for like, you know, like little things here and there. Like, uh, what's one other one that I remember from that time? Like Vamp with like Grace was it Grace Jones? Mm-hmm. I think was in that. Um, but yep. like for the most part, like it was, it was the old hammer stuff and, and, and those movies and, uh, you know, like they really, really brought it away from that and made it something yeah. kind of made it fun and exciting and interesting again, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about lost boys, but yeah, two, two very similar movies with very different approaches, uh, towards the vampires and, and, kind of reinvigorating that whole part of the horror franchise. But um, yeah, I don't know, David, what do you think about, how do you feel about the way these, the way they, they change the vampires here? Do do you feel, did that work for you? Not work? What do you think? Oh, I mean, I think any, any take, any, you know, rejiggering of, of the lore things, you know, these are vampires in the modern age. They're, they're kind of anarchists and they, they all like this gang has their own style. Uh, so you giving them each a, a big personality, a look, uh, he, and then really not like wanting to like rely on like all these rules or, 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 yeah. or mysticism or anything like that. It's just like you're compelled to, to feed, which means you have to kill. And so, and, um and sunlight will kill you and you're strong like that's that's literally the only right. rules and they don't um and you're immortal like you can't be killed we don't know how you can be killed other than the sun like they don't like say so make sure you don't get your head cut off which probably would kill them right, right. but like they yeah. they don't it's not about like the the uh, essence or about the rules it's more about like i mean this whole thing comes down to the moral uh questions of like how do you survive uh, in a and and how do you get what you want when the yeah. costs are so high? Because it's like there's this rent this there's this love story, but then also his his desire to stay alive and uh, uh, well, I I love I love that they introduced this idea that they're this traveling band of gypsies, right? Because like yeah, think about it. If you're if if vampires are real, like you're not going to be able to hang out in the same spot, feasting in the same areas for long without getting caught you know the fact that they have to like travel around and kind of like pick their their victims from kind of like uh you know the 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 grittier uh uh parts of society and things like that i think is really kind of an interesting uh i believe at the time a new kind of take on it and so like i thought i thought that aspect was part of what really draws me to this is that you know like they're like these renegade bandits out there just like defying um you know like nature and going out and like hunting and you know like they they steal vehicles and like black out the lights and like do all this stuff they've like 
figured out this way to be like this kind of traveling uh, uh, band of misfits, man. And I, I, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty exciting. You know, like I think it's an exciting take on it. Yeah, I think, you know, in a way, it wouldn't take a lot to completely remove the vampire element and, you know, just really make it about this band of outlaws. Yeah, for sure. uh, Bonnie and Clyde-esque. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think this, I want to say this is the first vampire, you know, non, you said before, non-gothic vampire story. You know, Mm -hmm. this is the first time we're not seeing the capes and the castles and, you know, like you said, David, all the rules and garlic and, you know, there's no frog brothers who are like laying out, like this is how you kill vampires and laying out everything. It's, it's very, it's really, things are only hinted at, you know, they never even say the word vampire. You just Mm -hmm. know that that's what they are after, you know, pretty quickly. Um, You know, their backstories are just kind of alluded to, you know, you know, that, that Jesse is, you know, he talks about having been at the Civil War. And, oh, uh, man. Part of yeah. this. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt. The, the, I got to go back to the documentary. Man, when Lance Henriksen is talking about, like, he has figured out his entire backstory for this character. Like, in yeah. such amazing detail. Like, he has really, really put a lot of thought into how his character came came about. It's really interesting mm-hmm. if... if if you're listening to the podcast and have any interest in this in this movie, definitely check out the documentary just to hear Lance Hen- Henriksen talk about his like process of creating this character. It's really, really uh, insightful. Yeah, I mean, he's such an amazing actor, and and that's what great actors do is that they they create a whole life for this character so that when they're they can get in the moment, they really like understand who that person is, and it's easier to to be that person when you know where they've been. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they talk about what they talk about, the Chicago fire, right? Yeah. Didn't they mention that? that oh, they is, maybe started the Chicago fire. Yep, is that yep. what they meant? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remember that fire in Chicago? <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but they, you know, they treat, you know, their vampirism almost like a drug addiction. Like yeah. they, they look like they could be drug addicts and, and they behave, you know, like that need, like they, they need a fix. Mm-hmm. But like they're, it's just but it, like, like, you know, you, you sort of see a struggle with like drug addicts, right? Whereas that the only, in, in a sense, you'd probably tell that story a little bit, but there's no real like uh, struggle for these guys. They, they are like psychopaths in the sense of like what, what you would term for like a human being doing these acts like they they have no problems with the lifestyle they live um so that's yeah well i think by by this by this time they've you know learned to like enjoy it enjoy what they do yeah they clearly take pleasure in it yeah just yeah and they're and they i mean they obviously you know like um they're more powerful than any like anybody they're gonna run up against so they, right. they, there's no fear, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, a hunter hunting its prey. They just, you know, it's not even about feelings. It's about like, this is what we have to do to survive. And at, mm-hmm. to your point, you know, the kind of the grotesque thing is that they obviously at some point have now started to take pleasure in the fact that they're giving uh, their prey uh, this sense of fear, you know? And so like, that's the part that's, 
kind of scary and and sickening about this about this group of of nomads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's and let's let's uh, let's talk about the cast a little bit too. Um, you know, we we talked about Lance Henriksen. Funny enough, uh, they actually offered the role his the role of Jesse to Michael Bean, who ended up turning it down. Ooh. Which uh, I think, you know, he just didn't he didn't get it. I think he didn't get the the script. I don't think he s- really saw the whole big picture in his head. But um, would have been a different role. I think uh, I think we're I love Michael Bean as we've talked about before very much. But I think Lance is the better pick here. Well, agreed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess Lance originally had been. Um, auditioning for the role that bill paxton got right the severin right for severin yeah, yeah. it's Which funny because again go, yeah going back to the cameron bigelow uh connection so you know she she had asked him if it was okay to approach some of the actors from aliens and you know they talked about it like it made sense to approach you know to get some of those actors together because they had already gone through the experience of making aliens and, and bonding as, as a team. So it only made sense to get as many of those actors as they could for these roles uh, to keep that kind of family unit together. So that, that was a smart call, but it, but it really ties the movie to aliens quite a bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you get to, um, you get to see aliens playing on a marquee uh, in the background of a scene. Yeah. 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 And you've got three cast members from it. And it's, it's fantastic. But apparently they were all, you know, still like super good friends with each other at the time and were all up for different roles and were auditioning and reading for these parts, but they weren't telling each other. And then finally, I think the uh, Lance, Bill Paxton and Jeanette Goldstein were just like had a lunch together. And, and it came, I think Jeanette Goldstein said what the name of the movie was that she was up for. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm up for that, too. And I'm up for that, actually, as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's so it's funny how it all comes back. Yeah. Oh, um, but Lance like really got, you know, Brent, like you were saying, really got in this character's head and he, uh, you know, he grew his hair out. He dropped a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. He, you know, had these special fingernails made. And then he like, you know, he talks about it in the documentary, but he took a pair of pliers and just like kind of snapped them off, mauled the finger. Yeah. yeah like hacked them, them off. So they look jagged. And, yeah. Oh wow! Ugh. Yeah, yeah. He got um, he got real method with this one. <laughs> like, yeah, really method. Yeah, yeah. And then he would like so instead of you know like most actors when you travel them to a location you you put you fly him first class but Lance uh, decided to drive from from L A to uh, to Arizona which isn't a long drive but along the way he was um, picking up hitchhikers and was doing his best to be the Jesse character with them and really freak them out and just stare at them with those eyes and just like how freaky would that have been? Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. He he tells a story. He tells a story in the documentary about, you know, this hitchhiker uh, rolling him a cigarette and he's just giving him shit the entire time. Like, like basically uh, making this hitchhiker feel like, uh, 
you know, like he was in trouble. Like he was like, how do I get out of this car? I got to get out of here. This dude's, this dude's bananas. <clears throat> it's time to go. Yeah. And then they took, uh, there's another story where, where they were like on a weekend, they were driving out. Of, they were going to go out of town and, and go, you know, have sort of a mini vacation, uh, him and Bill and Jeanette. And they get, he's like flying. He's doing like a hundred, you know, uh, and gets pulled over by a cop. And again, he was staying in character and got really intense with the cop and aggressive and i think didn't he like get out of the car and just kind of stand like right in the cop's face yeah and, i don't know when he tells the, when he tells the story it certainly sounds like an actor's recounting of the events yeah. for sure, sure you know like but but yeah it's, it's but pretty, bill kind of bill kind of backed it up though a little bit yeah a little bit he did yeah and then eventually the cop just kind of like told him to get out and he didn't write them a ticket and they got away with it but uh he took the credit for that yeah, it's funny. <laughs> um, but Paxton, Paxton here. My God, I love Bill Paxton in this movie. Yeah. David, yeah. how do you feel about him? Yeah, no, he he uh, makes a meal out of every scene and uh, big <laughs> big fan of uh, his work in this. Uh, he's yeah. He's intense. He's a, like a different intensity of than Lance Hendricks. I mean, Hendrickson, uh, Hendrickson that uh i don't know like he is relishing like his character relishes being this vampire this like psychopath he's he's the one that's enjoying his himself the most uh and so you know he's kind of got free license to just go nuts and i think uh, paxton really makes some um really appropriate choices and really elevates what what's going on there yeah so big ups to him on that yeah, it's like he took his energy from playing Hudson, you know, that really intense high energy, mm-hmm. like and 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 upped it even more for this role. It's really another. It's a great, I think, uh, from an actor's point of view, it's a great next step for him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. think like maybe in like another world, like Severin and Hudson might be like distantly related to each other. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, I, I don't know. They no. they look almost like twins, so maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm gonna go no. <laughs> <clears throat> but Paxton, I mean, this role, I would put on on my my Bill Paxton Mount Rushmore. I would put I would absolutely put Hudson and Severin up there for sure. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would certainly. I mean, if we're t- like. The, Bill Paxton carries that bar scene and is is like I mean it is you know like it's kind of the the pinnacle of the 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 slaughterhouse moment in this movie but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of um he is so good in that scene like just kind of walking around and terrorizing and the one-liners and to your point David like uh what would you say chewing up the scene you know like he uh makes a meal <laughs> yeah yeah makes a meal of that scene I mean he for me, like in Bill Paxton, like that scene alone is like probably one of my favorite scenes he's ever, ever done. You know, like I just think it's he's so great in, in that in that in that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's such an amazing scene. It's really like the scene to watch to watch from this movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it starts 
you know, it starts with that that shot from the poster where they, you know, they're on the hill overlooking this bar of what they're knowing what they're going to do, that they're going to slaughter everybody in it. Yeah. yeah. And it's more just, yeah, it's the way they do it and how methodical and, uh, you know, you know how methodical they are as they plan this out and they're just kind of taunting everybody yeah, and just toying knowing with that everybody. Yeah, just. They're, and they're just getting so much more pleasure out of it that they're just playing with everybody. Um, and even Jeanette Goldstein, who's who's also fantastic in this movie, and yep. you know this is one of her best, you know, her career roles as well. You know, wa- watch her in the background, like the way she's like looking at the, especially the waitress, mm-hmm. the fir- who's the first one they kill. Like the way she's just eyeing her, it's almost like there's lust in her eyes. It, it, she's really fantastic. Yeah. But it, then it becomes, yeah, it becomes Bill's scene. I mean, everyone else kind of steps back and lets Bill mess with everybody in the bar and, uh, you know, kind of take them out one by one. And uh, it's 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 a great scene and it, it, it's a great Paxton scene and a great scene in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every 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 one of the baddies gets their own kill. I think, uh, but like Paxson sort of launches everything into motion, and uh, it's it's really fascinating. And his is the most extended, you know, the way he stalks the bartender, yeah, and then messes with the uh, with the other guy. It was the guy from what Terminator Two? Oh, who gets his ass kicked in both movies. Uh, <laughs> I see. Yeah. Okay. That's where I knew him from. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's guy who gets beat up in a bar in <laughs> yeah. both movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> he's he's good. He's good at it. And then also we see a very young James LaGrosse in this scene. Hmm. Where do I know him from? Who's a big... Wait a minute. You, James LaGrosse was a huge uh, indie film actor, like, all the way through the 90s. And um, I think the last thing I saw him in was that Amazon show Hunters with Al Pacino. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a, a great actor, but this was the very... You know, very very first role I think for him, really? and he's the uh, he's the one who they who ends up escaping and that Caleb lets lets go. Huh. Yeah, the guy. And uh, but Robert, yep, go ahead. Robert Winley is the guy who's in who's in Terminator Two and this as the as the yes. bar patron. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, at least he survives Terminator Two, but not so much here. Yeah. Um. And this was the last scene that they actually shot in the movie, which I, I think um, was probably good for the actors' performances. They really they knew these characters so well by then, and and had that all, all that energy kind of amped up. Yeah, and it all pays off here. Um, we talked about Jeanette Goldstein, uh, Jenny Wright, who we said, mentioned before, uh, was uh, this was not her first movie, but I think this was her first kind of you know, main, main character. I know she was in, uh, she was in the world according to Garp and she was in St. Elmo's fire briefly, but, and a few other things, but, uh, but she's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, she really is. And she, she, I mean, I think she kind of shied away from the whole acting thing for the most part, but yeah, but yeah, she is great in this. She had done a couple things here and there before this, like, uh, pink floyd's the wall and things like that oh right 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 but um but yeah i mean she hasn't really done any acting you know in in over 10 years and i mean even before that like 20 years really it looks yeah she really 
I think something happened and she completely dropped off uh, off the map for a while. I think just recently she started coming back and doing like, con- you know, horror conventions mm. and and doing appearances. Um, so I'm not sure what what the issue was, but. But this was the beginning of a, of, a, of a great career, and she would go on to be in uh, Lawnmower Man and uh, Young Guns 2, uh, which is a, a favorite, yeah. and um, mm-hmm. a lot of, lot of other films through into the early 90s or mid-90s. Yeah. But she plays, like, she her version of the vampire is very different from the way they play it. She's part of their group, but she's almost like a like a pixie, sort of. Like <laughs> she play, She's playing it like she's... She's, you know, an, an, uh, an endangered species, whereas they're this violent, you know, group. I also think she's, just a different... she's the youngest of the vampires. Like, not, not like the youngest in, in their look, but she has been a vampire the shortest amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, that's true. It, yeah, that, that would make sense. So, you know, like, she probably hasn't gotten as hardened or jaded uh, from, from, you know... A, several lifetimes worth of of this lifestyle right well yeah i mean clearly i think that that, that's probably why she's so forgiving with caleb and you know uh, you know really like lenient with him and lets him you know feed off of her instead of making a kill which is what the rest of them want otherwise they won't accept him as their new member right yeah she she it's it became clearer on a multiple viewing like she's she's still longing for that human life and connection but you know knows she can't have it so it's like it i think it it's that uh thing of missing her her human life and not really embracing the 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 chaos of everything else like she knows what she has to do to survive but um you know having uh having caleb there is sort of like a, a window into like the life she used to live and like that he's mm-hmm. he's on the cusp of that, and then now, she she brings him into her, this world that she's a part of, and I'm you know I'm, I, Caleb never takes the kill like throughout the, the spoiler alert. I mean he he struggles yep. and she understands it, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really neat that like she's sort of protective of him, and like what he's trying to go through, um, and then it's. And he struggles the entire time, you know, over these couple of days or whatever. Um, do you, does she feel? Do you think she feels guilty? Because right in the basically in the beginning of the movie is where she, um, you know, turns him into a vampire. And do you think she feels bad about having done that? Yeah, probably. Like she just wanted to get home before the sun came up, and then, you know, she got to he sort of like coerces her into <laughs> making out, and then she couldn't. She couldn't resist. Like she, she needed to feed. So it was this. Yeah. She bit him and ran though. She didn't like kill him. So it, it was a very right. least like, yeah. I think she feels bad, and so you know, she they don't know and they don't know a way out. Like this is who they are now. You know, this other world that they live in. Um. So I don't know. Yeah. She does her best to protect him. And uh, who Joshua John Miller is the other the other member of the gang who is probably age-wise is the i think the oldest of the vampires but he's in a, the the body of a child right. or, or a kid you know which i also think was kind of a new idea for for vampire mm-hmm. movies as well right like yeah the idea that they're of, stuck in the body yeah. like whatever body it is yeah yeah, yeah he was good um, too he's he's uh i don't know what 
he went on to do after this. I recognize him. I know he's been in other things, but um, yeah. he's great in this. Well, leading up to this, he was in Halloween 3 um, and The River's Edge. So I, I think he had a more memorable performance in The River's Edge. Right. Uh, but yeah, great, great, really interesting character here. And I like that, that you know, subplot of how he's kind of affectionate for Sarah, who's Caleb's younger sister. Yeah. And I don't know if he's like in love with her, but he's, I mean, cause that's weird. Cause she's like a little kid. Yeah. But, but I think um, he's in, he's, I think he might be in love with the idea of turning someone her age so that she can age with him and then he'll have a companion. Right. Like, right. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super twisted to think about, but also yeah. <laughs> you're talking thing, about yeah. a bunch of twisted people just in general. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if, if, if you're um, destined to live forever, Age is not really a thing you even think about, I, I imagine. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's a, a thing anymore. Yeah. Age? <laughs> Living forever? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it would yeah. it would suck to be perpetually 12 years old <laughs> if you had to live forever. That would yeah. be horrible. That, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't the, think about it unless you were forced to think about it because you were so... Uh, uh, mismatched with your with your um, your shell. Yeah, it just uh, yeah. It would be that would be a tough life. We should talk about Adrian Pazdar who plays Caleb since he's the main character of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and he's coming off of uh, Solar Babies and Top Gun, where he's uh, I can't remember what his call sign was in Top Gun, but he's um, it was not. I played a trivia game a few times where you where you try to name all the call signs in Top Gun and, and it's impossible. Yeah, I think it's oh. Chipper. Ooh, Chipper. Chipper. I don't huh? even remember that one. Uh, but he's um, it is Chipper. <laughs> I think he's he works great in this movie. They almost cast Johnny Depp and uh, or and DB Sweeney were up for this role as well. Oh Ooh. wow, really? Yeah. I gotta be honest. Both I, could, I think both of those would probably work. To tell you the truth, I can't really see DB Sweeney. Maybe, but I, I could see Johnny Depp doing it. But um, I don't know. I like I like Adrian Pazdar. I think he did a great job. Yeah, I think he did just fine. But I mean yeah. that that I mean of of all the characters in the movie, that one seems the most kind of vanilla. You know, like it's I don't I don't know. I th- I think you could probably get away. Uh, he did great. You're right. You'd agree. Well, but yeah, he's his his character. I mean, has like he's trying to survive basically. Yeah. <laughs> in a different way that they are. So it, it, he, I don't think he has the character has as much depth as the rest of them do. Yeah. There's a lot going on, but like just the like he's, you know, uh, his is well, his, Caleb's issue is like the immediate need. Right. You exactly. know, he either needs to feed or get and get away from these vampires but how is he going to survive it there's not like an overall arc with whereas there is with the other guys there's a long yeah long-term thing going on with them yeah it's it's funny we're introduced to his character much the same way we're introduced to sean penn's character in at, at close range we just sort of open the movie with him venturing through where he lives and then you know the rest of the movie is uh, uh an an invasion into a different world um, and dealing with the struggles of that of that other world, so there's sort of a mm-hmm. parallel with 
with uh, that. You know, we discuss at close range on on our podcast, uh, and you can check That's that right. out, which you can listen to in the archives www.reconcinemation.com. Yeah. So I was struck by the opening of this, uh, like, oh, we this is just like that in a sense, you know, which is, is a great way to kind of give you a, a look into the the life and character uh, without actually having to do much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you let the visuals tell the story. So I think it was effective. Right. Yeah, it was a very similar, similarly shot, you know, uh, opening scenes for both movies. You're right. Yeah. Um, and who who doesn't love Tim Thomerson as Caleb and Sarah's dad? Yeah, he's I'm a great. big Tim Thomerson. Yeah, Tom Tim Thomerson's great. Of course, he's a, a, a like a major star from low budget horror movies uh, through the '90s and Dollman and uh, um, Trancers. He's in Uncommon Valor, and and of course he's the dad in Iron Eagle. Mm. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love nice. Iron Eagle. Iron but. Eagle, yeah. Classic. <laughs> but Tim Thomerson was like always this age. He was like this age for like 20 years. Yeah. He's one of those guys. He's like 40 forever, 40, 45, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like early grade, early gray hair, but then was just yeah. always looking like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. A couple other notes. Uh, we see a very young Teresa Randall, who would uh, become a star in the 90s uh, in this movie as, as one of Severin's victims. Uh, along the way, we don't see what happens to her, but we see him kind of you know, confront and start flirting with her, and you just know how they're going to end up. Mm-hmm, Is she one mm-hmm. of the girls in the truck? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. You might, uh, we, you might remember her from Bad Boys. Space Jam. That's right. Bad is she in all the Bad Boys movies? She is in all three. Right. Uh, yeah, but Space Jam. Come on, right. gotta love that. Right. <laughs> Get ready for Space Jam two coming soon. I still can I to, full transparency here, guys. I still haven't seen the first Space Jam movie. Oh, all right. Well, we'll sidebar about that. But y- <laughs> you should watch it just for the Bill Murray scenes. That's a fair point. That's probably the yeah. only reason I would watch it. To, to, to it yeah. Um, I like the, uh, I really like the, you know, competition between the, you know, the Caleb's two fathers, essentially. He's got Tim Thomerson, who's his, you know, actual dad. And then, uh, you know, Jesse, who is uh, this father figure, which is Lance Henriksen. Um, I, and I love that scene in the hotel where they finally, the two dads confront each other. And it's almost like, Tim Thomerson is like I, I, I'm out of my league here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you, when you shoot a guy in the chest and he coughs the bullet up, I don't know what else. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like what? I, I don't know. I'm I don't know of... <laughs> what else you could do, but just be like, oh shit! All right, you got me. Yeah. Um, and that hotel shootout is is another great scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there was so much, you know, taken from that scene visually. If you've seen From Dusk Till Dawn, uh, the end of that movie is completely taken from this scene in Near Dark with the bullet holes being blasted in the wall and the light shining. And, and that that's really, they're not afraid of the cops shooting them. They're afraid of all that light hitting yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, and I don't think that's yeah, how like, light works, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, like Homer, Homer basically just like, crumbles into a ball of like 
blubbering crybaby because the 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 sun is about to come in and you know like to see him go from this like seasoned uh uh vampire to acting the age of the of the actor who's playing him is pretty pretty interesting yeah well they were really they're really like put into a corner there that's um you know the only way they're able to get out is you know caleb makes a break for it and I really like the scenes where they where you see them like starting to smoke as they're out in the sunlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Adrian Pazdar said it was basically the equivalent the, the the smoke gag you know rigs they had on was like five lit cigars was how it felt like on their body. <laughs> so that had to be um, not so comfortable. Yeah. How pleasant. Could you imagine? Well. <laughs> Because isn't um, isn't that actually like the effect that they used? They had some weird fan get up where they basically had yeah. lit cigars just like blowing smoke through this tubing and and exhaust that they had built into the makeup and so yeah and the suit. So it was literally like they were walking around just in this cloud of cigar smoke. So if you can imagine, if you're sitting there, like you can't mm. breathe, like you just wouldn't be able to breathe, and you're just yeah like you would you would reek of cigar for you know like for the rest of the day if not longer and it's i can't even imagine it'd be terrible probably an effect they couldn't get away with doing these days without there being some no no that wouldn't fly issue but it was it actually like tobacco uh, like like carcinogenic like things they were burning or yeah, was it like like, a... like cigars like legitimate yeah, cigars. like actual cigars oh jesus okay yeah that's no good <laughs> <laughs> yeah um how do you feel about the uh blood transfusion element another new kind of new thing for the vampire mythology yeah i mean i don't uh, it's ridiculous but that I don't, like but i don't hate it <laughs> yeah. yeah i i I do know a number of people who just kind of think that's bullshit. Like, oh, you can just do a blood transfusion and then you're yeah. not a vampire anymore. <laughs> I mean, not in a barn and not like, <laughs> you know, like. Just hook it up. Yeah. Just plug into each other and that's it. Yeah, well, I don't think that's going to fly, but whatever. I guess it doesn't fly. But like if you're, I don't know, it, it, it there's probably maybe a, a a more interesting or more clever way to like turn you back into a human but i don't know i kind of like it like it's like it's so easy to become a vampire that the 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 inverse is like well if you just give your you know you just get enough human blood in you you can like directly you could uh you know change things but in the uh, on the other side of the coin they're they're consuming human blood all the time so like right (laughs) right exactly but but i like that there's a i i'm a fan of like you know the ability to i don't know find redemption or something get an out and i like like that there's an out for sure Yeah. yeah 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 definitely so the fact that it worked what a gamble like but it, it worked out so <laughs> i'm in that's that's fun i'm glad i i prefer a happy ending in a, in a vampire movie <laughs> well i guess there was an yeah, alternate I did. ending or at least a discussed alternate ending right mm-hmm. uh, uh, with uh with uh may's character where uh-huh. where uh i thought it was sarah's character but you go, you go ahead tell the story 
Well, I I thought I thought you know so at the end they do the the whole blood transfusion for May as well, and you know like she and uh, Caleb are able to be together and they're like in the barn and you know she's in the sun and she's not burning. But I heard that there was an alternate version where um, all that still happened, but then they cut to like kind of a close up of her hand in the sun. And you can start to see that her her hand is starting to burn, like she wasn't able I to convert it was, back. I thought it was Sarah, who's the younger daughter. That that was there was a shot of her. Basically, same thing what you're saying, but it was Sarah who was you. You realize that she was converted. Yeah. I think oh, it was really? To be Sarah. Yeah, I think. It was yeah, to be maybe. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I'm sure there could be multiple. Yeah. So. Uh, but. Either way, like I, I agree. I, I like the. Um, I don't have a problem with the blood transfusion thing, and I do like the that there's a happy ending and there's an out for these characters. Um, I think you ultimately want to see that. Like you, you know that this group, like their their time is going to end, and it's going to end badly for them. Um, so you know, it's good to see the the characters redeem them. The, you know, the other two characters redeem themselves and and survive and move on. Yeah. Well, like, and if you're, if you think of this movie strictly as like a Western or a cowboy, you know, movie, this, this sort of fits, you know, like enter the, enter yep. into this group of outlaws. And that's not the, the life that, you know, Caleb wants and has to confront him and, and dispatch some justice to, and that was the only way he was going to be able to get out of the gang. So in a, in a strictly like Western cowboy style, like that completely fits. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, by this point, you forget that it's sort of it, the the formula is a Western. So, right, David, you know, they're going to go back to to what, uh, you know, the Western motifs are. Yeah. yeah. This is not quite a vampire movie. Right. <laughs> well, and they do that. They do that in the kind of the, the final climax scene, too. They they have uh, Caleb ride in to the showdown on his horse you know, into the, into the middle yep. of town. Right. So it's like, Oh yeah, yep. let's not forget. This is a Western. <laughs> it's a, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the, you know, the showdown with Severin too. uh, Bill's oh, yeah. last scene was that, you know, you know, the, the hero and the <laughs> villain in the middle of the street, you know? Yeah. Um, but such a, another, you know, great scene for Bill and, um, you know, a really good makeup effects on him. And he looks totally, you know destroyed but uh and that's another one of the posters of the movie yeah oh yeah yeah he looks so grotesque i thought it was like sort of like a a mutant alien kind of movie i think i mean like right that you know the, the but it's just his burned uh burned body and just yeah he, he almost looks body. more like the toxic avenger at, at that point you know with his <laughs> yeah, face oh, hanging that's, off and that's the that's what it's evoking in me, like the Toxic Avenger look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm like, oh wow, that's gruesome. You know, all all that being said, the uh, really the movie was Near Dark was really handcuffed because uh, through no fault of its own, but it was the last movie that uh, Dino De Laurentiis's company uh, DEG. Uh, was going to produce, so they were going out of business, and this was the last movie that was in their you know, in their, in production and they just didn't put a lot behind the movie. So, uh, you know, and here we should talk about, you know, near dark versus lost boys here, but yeah. this is, um, they really didn't promote the movie very much. 
they didn't give it a strong release and they just kind of like uh, it's unfortunate because it just it never really had a chance at the box office yeah and honestly um, like i just uh, i mean i also just think it's as as a if you're comparing lost boys versus near dark like they're just they're similar but they're also very different so like lost boys is much more uh polished you know and Mm -hmm. the the actors are at the time like were much more well-known popular kind of kind of uh actors uh you know with Kiefer sutherland and the corys and and uh jason Mm -hmm. patrick you know they were all like like kind of um uh mainstream uh at the time and joel joel schumacher was coming off uh what movie he just like hit it out of the park with saint elmo's fire was one that was pretty recent yeah so you know i mean like just the director was more well known so i think like just in general um this one was always probably gonna get and be a bigger cash grab from from Mm -hmm. you know like just a uh kind of popular opinion or or mass uh marketed standpoint um and they're both they're both uh i mean i think they're both incredibly entertaining i haven't seen lost boys in a while it i'd, it, I'd be interested to go back yeah, and take a look at it but but um yeah you know they're just kind of like uh, they're different they're very way. different um lost boys is much more the popcorn movie and the entertainment movie mm-hmm. and more famous and 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 everything has the like you said of as the bigger stars near dark feels like an indie movie and it looks like an indie movie and is there's a little more uh you know artistry in the creation of it and less entertainment value but um i don't know for me like i would take i take near dark every day over lost boys i don't have anything against lost boys mm-hmm. um it's just that's my preference uh, yeah. What about you guys? Where one versus the other? What would you pick? I mean, Near Dark for me is like it's not it's there's not really much of a competition. Like I like Lost Boys, but like I can't remember much about it. Like I mean, I I, I know I re, I like I recall like key elements of it, but like mm-hmm. uh, Near Dark like just kind of stands out for for a number of different reasons. Mostly just because of the memories that it kind of brings back of when I saw it and and things like that like i can't i can't really tie any kind of significant like memory to the lost boys you know although i've seen it a number Mm -hmm. of times and i'm sure at at a certain point in my life i probably watched lost boys over and over and over again for you know a good a good few weeks uh because i certainly you know like uh there i was very into vampires for for a moment and uh you know like this was one of the ones that i had on on repeat but near dark Mm -hmm. near dark stands out more to me as as something that i find kind of like more near dear uh to kind of like uh you know know, for it sounds weird to say but my heart you know so Mm -hmm. no i get it um i'll have to Um, david what about you i'll have to see lost boys and weigh in on that then so i avoided that movie i don't was, oh, yeah, yeah so you haven't seen lost boys no i have no yeah 
I'd be I'd be interested to hear I'd be interested to hear what you have to say because I feel like I feel like that movie was made more for like general audiences yeah you know like just just overall you know so I'd be and I I don't know how it holds up I don't know you know if it plays you know very very well these days but but I I would since you hadn't really seen Near Dark until just recently I'd be I'd be curious to see what you have to say about Lost Boys yeah yeah maybe one day I'll see that movie (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe on uh, one of our horror fests uh, in October. Well, maybe not. Maybe not this year, but soon we'll do it. Maybe we'll cover it. Yeah, I'll weigh in then. Um, <clears throat> All right. Well, let, go ahead, David. But you mentioned Jason Patrick in Lost Boys. He's actually mm-hmm. half brother of Joshua Miller, who played the kid. Uh, and they're is that right? That's so funny. And the, yeah, and they're both this. Yeah, I, and isn't Jason Patrick Jason Miller's son? Uh, yeah, Jason so, Miller's their dad, yeah. and uh, from The Exorcist. Yeah, so and we we mentioned Jason Miller so recently in our Canon films. A little episode, family competition going on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, speaking of competition, all right. So I'm going to break down. We're going to do a little box office now. I'm going to break down kind of how they compare to each other. So okay. All right, Lost Boys uh, has an 8.5 million dollar budget. Released July 31st, 1987, so right in that summer. Uh, it's on 1,027 screens or thereabouts, uh, so that's a you know a pretty standard major release. Uh, opening weekend, it does 5.2 million and has a domestic overall domestic run of 32.2 million. So that's a big hit. That's a, that's a win for Warner Brothers there. Uh, about two months later. Uh, October 2nd, 1987, uh, Near Dark comes out. It had a $5 million budget, so a little bit lower budget, but it's only released in 262 screens. Oh. So that's, that's, uh, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. It's handicapped right away. It, there, there's no way it can compare. Um, it only has a $635,000 opening weekend, mm. and it, it debuts at number 13 which is dead in the water. Yeah. Uh, the overall domestic run is only 3.3 million. So they didn't even make their money back. It, uh, and I know what I was doing that weekend because it opened up against like father, like son and big shots. Uh, and I definitely saw like father, like son that weekend. Is that, <laughs> is that Dudley Moore? That's Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Wow. I definitely saw oh. that that weekend. Body switching. I remember that one. I feel so bad and guilty about that now. Uh, you know, who who didn't love yeah. Arthur and and Mike Seaver together? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it landed between uh, the Big Easy, which was in week seven, and a movie called Bestseller, which was in week two. Mm. Um, so and then for 1987, uh, it ends up at number 143. Wow between uh, King Kong Lives and some kind of Pinocchio movie. Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, but it went on to have so, a very yeah. illustrious home home video uh, Absolutely. Career. Yeah. That's where, and that's where really it found its legs and, and got its cult status. But even that, like, it did well. And I think, I, I really would say that 
that poster, I think, had a lot to do with people seeing the movie. You know, if that poster was up in a video store, I think it would drive people to rent it. Yeah. I think it's it's just a strong visual. Well, so, and then word of mouth, um, you know, I mean, it, because it was yeah. something completely different. And it was and it was done. I mean, it was done well. I mean, for the time, it fits in fits in really well. I'm uh, yeah, but even even that, the like the VHS went out of print in like '92 well, and was gone until like the late '90s. Well, and I was gonna say, I mean, even now it's still like kind of hard to find. Like when we were doing our research for this for this episode, like you can't stream this thing anywhere, man. Like it's nope. It's like you know, it's uh, it's difficult to to find, which makes me think that you know it's completely fallen out of out of uh the consciousness or it's ripe for a for a new uh uh blu-ray dvd digital release and it needs to needs to drop here pretty quick yeah yeah you think like shout factory i don't know if they've put one out or not but uh or scream factory that would that would um be ripe for that if they haven't already done it yeah but yeah, it's like every every like twenty years, this movie like has faded away and needs a resurgence. So um, I think you know when it hit DVD in two thousand two, it kind of boosted again. But then I don't know where the rights are and who who owns this movie because it's not even that DVD um, that came out was not like a major uh, studio putting that out. I mean, if you were a smart person, like you probably should have pushed it right as soon as Catherine Bigelow won the Academy Award. But yeah, you'd think, yeah. You know. Yeah, I wonder wonder why it it it, it just stayed away. Well, I don't know. Maybe yeah. she didn't want it. Now she would have loved it. She would have loved to put it out. Yeah. I'm sure she would have. Yeah. Clearly she loves this movie. I mean, yeah. she's she yeah. I yeah. mean, I think they it's talked prob- about making like a prequel even, right? Or like a sequel I think at some so, point yeah. or or it yeah. sounded like it sounded like based off the interviews, uh, everybody was kind of down to do it. Oh yeah, hmm. um, that would have been amazing. Yeah, huh. yeah. Um, I'm just looking yeah, through the so, stuff on Lost Boys. The soundtrack on Lost Boys was pretty good too. I'm looking at yeah, differences yeah, between the two, and I guess t- yeah. Tang- oh yeah, speaking of Tangerine Dream for near Dark. exactly. You know. Yeah, Tangerine Dream. Love them. Who I love, you know, so many of their scores. But uh, they did Thief, which was amazing, and and Risky Business. You know, great scores for both of those. And and then another. It's a really like sets the tone for the movie. Yeah, it's a real synth heavy though. But that's an '80s thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Um. So all right, what uh? Let's talk about Jack Burton's. David, how many how many Jack Burton's out of thirteen would you give this movie? I know it's not necessarily, you know, your uh, up your alley, but what do you think? Um, geez, the Jack Burton's on this. Uh, listen, I wasn't I wasn't enjoying myself the entire time, but I I do appreciate the artistry of it. Um, I appreciate her as a filmmaker. I see what the movie was trying to do. But I was really bored by it. <laughs> um, you need more kills in your your vampire movie. I guess I'll I'll put it at a I'll put it at a seven seven and a half maybe out of thirteen. All right, right in the middle. Yeah, not not right not at like six point five, but just above the midpoint there. You know, so seven seven point five, sure. 
Okay. All right, uh, Brensky, what do you think? I don't know. You know, I mean, I, like, I, I hold this movie really, like, close. But, I, I mean, for me, uh, Jack Burton's... It's the 13th thing that keeps throwing me off, guys. I got... <laughs> um, I, I feel like I have to, like, grade on a curve a little bit. Um, I'm going to go, like, a 10... A 10... 10.2, 10. 10.3, 10.3. 10. Okay. I am, you know, Brent, I'm, I'm right with you. I'm going to, I'll say 10.5 just to call it, you know, yeah. right in the middle there. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, actually this is, I like the tone and the pacing of this movie. I like that slower pace. Um, you know, and, and I just, I just love the visual, the whole style in general, visually, the, the soundtrack, um, I'm I'm all in for it, and uh, and the cast is great. So, you know, it's not. I don't think it's perfect. There's a couple of things that, yeah, it's someone's. It's basically someone's first movie, and there's always. Yeah. You can always t- kind of tell when it's yeah. someone's first movie. Not that that's a bad thing, but like, you know, they've changed. They change over time, and and choices they make in the beginning they wouldn't necessarily make later on, yeah. uh, for better or worse. Sometimes they're a little more daring, and they're not even realizing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, I, I would, I love this movie. I think, uh, to me, I think it holds up really well. But, um, you know, you've got to. I think you should go into it expecting it's not necessarily your everyday vampire movie. Yeah, you know, if if the Twilight movies were like this movie, because this is very Oof. much like a love story. You know, like it is, it is a love story. If and and if the Twilight movies were made in this way, like I probably would have seen those, but. They weren't, and those that series of films sucks. So, you yeah. know, near near dark <laughs> is what they should have been. Yeah. Oh, that would have been that would have been cool. <laughs> and then it would have probably made nowhere near as much money. But <laughs> yeah, probably. Not. Um. Yeah. For me, on my personal scale, this ranks up very high on vampire movies. It's um, you know, probably top three-ish i'd have to think more in detail but i know it's very high up there wow. yeah, yeah okay. i mean there's a couple that i like i like fright night a lot i like lost boys it's yeah good um Sa- stephen king salem salem's lot like that's one that i the the old it was a mini series that they did I, yeah i like that one a ton i don't know if that one holds up anymore though i saw it a, a few years ago yeah i don't know if I it was... does either it's been years since i've seen it but i used to watch that with my mom like every year for when we were younger and so like but it so so nostalgia wise that one that one's in there for sure and then the hammer uh the hammer uh yeah. dracula yeah. movies um with peter cushing and christopher lee yeah exactly uh yeah there's i mean there's been a bunch of vampire movies like more recently i like yeah i don't know I interview with a vampire i liked the book series much more than i liked the, yeah, the, the movies. The movie. Um, so I don't know. Uh, well, I know I, I know what David's favorite vampire movie is. Which one's that? Uh, Once bitten. Once bitten. Ooh, sure, that's I a love good it. one too, though, man. <laughs> that's that's my, a Jim that's Carrey, a Jim Carrey, right? Fairy, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Very young Jim Carrey. They came out yeah, before like this that. movie, so also flipping the, <laughs> the genre on its head, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
um i think i think my i think i think pam the babysitter showed me that one too oh nice yeah Yeah, i think i might have seen that i think i saw it in like a hotel or something i don't know um yeah so all right well uh, that is uh i think that's near dark i think near we've reconcinemized near dark yeah nice any other uh last bits we want to add in no, if you can find it, check it out. <laughs> Give it a yeah, if you if you can find. It. Oh, well, I have one. I do want to say I love the song "Naughty Naughty" by John Parr during the bar scene. Mm. Uh, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, uh, that fits. That works. You can never go wrong in the '80s with John Parr. Can't do it. It's impossible. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know this is one of Bill's uh, big, important roles in his career. Um, I don't think it really, because no one really saw it at the time, uh, it didn't impact it as much then. But over the course of time, when people did catch up with it, I think uh, it gave him a lot more street cred and uh, respect. And and uh, again, I would put this on the the Bill Paxton Mount Rushmore, which. Yeah. We are going to continue Paxton Fest uh, throughout throughout this month, right, guys? Yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, for sure. Do we know? Um, do we we're know? not going to tell you. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Let's we, tease it. I. We know what we're doing. We're not going to tell you though. It's uh, we're going to leave keep you guessing. Uh, so stay tuned uh, to see what that's going to be. But yeah, we have definitely more Bill in store here and. Um, you know, don't forget to check us out on social media, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's Reconsidimation Podcast. Uh, you can find us there and uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, but especially www.reconsidimation.com. You can check out our archives and everything else we've got in there, all our other our Paxton films. Um and a quick thank you to E.K. Wimmer for the theme music. Uh, you can check his podcast out, Laser Graves. And we did a great episode a while back with uh, about Canon Films with him. A lot of fun there. And uh, Curtis Moore for the poster, as usual. Um, yeah, guys, Near Dark. I, I think I might go watch it again. Okay, yeah. What about you guys? Yeah, <laughs> no. Sure. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> You're like, oh, David's done. <laughs> one and done, baby. I love these one and done. It's a lot of these movies we do. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, everyone, uh, take care. Stay healthy and uh, stay tuned for the next uh, portion of Paxton Fest on Reconcinimation. Take it easy. Bye now. Can you